This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back, and now part two of our interview with Dexter Manley. So when did the drugs usage start? When you were in college or in the pros? Well, I never used I never used drugs growing up in my whole in my neighborhood. I started using drugs when I got to National Football League. When I came here, uh, I, I, I'm gonna tell you some stuff, man. When I came here, uh, um, uh, when I first came here, there was a guy. You know, uh, I, listen, uh, I was such I had such uh, I had good showing and it was impressive and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, uh, that was a I was straddling the fence, first of all, you know, because I looked up to some of these players who was already here, uh, um, who was uh, uh, NFL players. Uh, you know, I heard of a couple guys when I got here, Joe Theismann and Monty Coleman, and that was about it. But that was a guy named Jan Russ. Jan Russ came here with the Richard Nixon administration. He was a white guy. He come to Redskin Park and uh, uh, they have uh, on, uh, it was on Tuesday. Tuesday was our off day, so they have soft lawn at the White House. That'd be soft lawn, soft lawn. I guess that's what they call it. I guess a uh, uh, diplomatic day, but everybody meet at the soft lawn. And so um, Jan Russ would uh, start asking some of the players to go. Most players didn't want to go, but Dexter Manley went. I went there because I wanted to see. And, and that was another guy. It was, a, it was an Oriental guy. He owned he owned a lot of these, uh, uh, what do you call this stuff? Uh, these uh, 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 Like Bruce Lee. What do you call those people? Oh, uh, karate dojo. Yes, yes, yeah. The guy, the guy, listen, Jan Ruff got the guy to give me, I was get he gave me uh, $800 if I wore these pads in the, in the game, I mean, game day. On my forearm, on my that's what I used to wear. If you go back and pull some photos, you'll see me those kind of whatever those. Uh, uh, it was like like you know they put on elbow pads, but yeah. I wore those kind of pads because Jan Russell really liked me. He had the influence on this guy, and so he got manly. So he got manly. If I wear those in a game, he'd give me a certain amount of money. Okay, but I start you know when I got here in this town, I was green, very impressionable. I never did drugs in my whole life until I got to the National Football I was young and impressionable. And so uh, 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 I would go to the White House and I'd stand out here on South Lawn, watch all these uh, diplomats and talking. This when uh, uh, Ronald Reagan was in office, then George Bush Sr. was there. And I met a whole bunch of those people. And, 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 uh, um, but then I saw the other football players who were such hoodlums and, and nice guys, but, but what a big contrast from going to the White House to watch. I was I was young and impressionable, and you go watch these guys playing football and this kind of thing and watching their lifestyle. You know, and I watch a guy, uh, I'm going to get to my point. I watch a guy who was on the, I'm not going to call his name, and uh, he, he, you know, this guy was an all-pro. He was an all-pro football player. He had two or three Mercedes-Benz, and he had women all around him, all around him. You know, I was young, and I'd never experienced that kind of stuff. I never experienced that kind of stuff. 
and so uh, I was very impressive on that part. When I, when I go to Trey Kemp and saw this guy, he was an all-pro. And, and, uh, but he really took a liking to me. He took one kind of liking to me because I was a hell of a ball player. He took a liking to me. And, uh, but I still, I would go, my whole rookie season, not my whole rookie season, but I tell you, uh, my rookie season, I would go to, I've been to the White House at least five or six times on Tuesday on, on, uh, Foreign Affairs Day. That's what they call it, Foreign Affairs Day. And I'd be out there and I'm watching them, then I would go over here and watch this here. And I was just sort of impressive. But what I really liked was I really identified with my, with my colleagues. And this guy, man, and, and uh, he had all kind of women around him, you know. But then I learned this guy was a drug addict. I, don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't know. What, I know he was on drugs. This is what they tell me. I never forget, as long as I live, Art Monk came to me and said, don't socialize with that guy. This is what the word comes from the top. From Bobby Beffitt on down to Joe Gibbs. Don't socialize with him. I didn't quite understand that. You know, I know I would go out sometimes and, and go out with them, not with them, and meet them at a certain place. But uh, uh, um, uh, and I just say this here: uh, one time, one day, we was playing a football game. The guy missed the whole game, never showed up. Then I really learned. How can a guy miss a game and don't show up? Who that was that was baffling. You know, I was kind of green, and, and I will say uh, uh, a little slow too. But but uh, I just didn't want to hear what Art Monk had to say. I heard it, but I didn't hear it. But I was I was sort of uh, uh, that this all pro sort of took a liking to me. And I sort of watched him, you know, he walks around with his fur coat on, have two or three women around him and drive these big fancy cars. And, you know, then I go to the, visit the White House, you know, I was straddling the fences. Like, I, I watched these guys, George Shokes and Mike Diva and, and uh, 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 I can't think of who else. Uh, 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 you know, they, uh, I talk with George Schultz. He, you know, one of these guys like to play handball. Alexander Haig. Uh, Alexander Haig. He liked to play handball. He was Secretary of State or something. And uh, and so uh, uh, I say, by the time my second or third year, I started experimenting with drugs. I started experimenting with drugs because, and I tell you this here. I never told a reporter this. I was at a place called Paul Mall in Washington, D.C. And a young lady came over to me, and uh, uh, and we talked, and I had sort of made a name for myself. And I think she ran with that crowd, those guys. Uh, I'm not going to call their name. It was just not more than one. It was more than that guy. It was maybe three or four of them. And she used to hang with one of them, uh, and so she said, yeah, I learned this later on. And she said something to me, and, and I was so young and impressionable, I had asked her, what is this stuff, this cocaine, these, what is this stuff they doing? What is that? And so, and so she told me about it. I said, I want to try it. I want to try it. 
So I got in her car. Went to, she lived out in the all predominant white neighborhood in McLean, Virginia. Back in 83, 82, wasn't no Negroes running in McLean, Virginia. And she had a great job. She drove a nice car, had a nice home. And, and, uh, and so I went to her house. I went to her apartment, her town home, and, and I, I sit at the table, and she started chopping the stuff up, the cocaine. And had Johnny Taylor on, Johnny Taylor was playing, the music was playing. I, you know, I thought I had really arrived to the National Football League. And I started, I, I experimented with drugs with you and drugs with her, and, and uh, I just, you know, I couldn't believe this. I really didn't believe it. A nice-looking lady, I just didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it. And all of a sudden, I used it. I experienced it. We had sex, like, all night. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, I go back again to her. I go back, keep going back, and, and uh, um, that's how that happened. And it ultimately cost you your job in the NFL. How yes. were you how were you able to turn your life around? Well, that's another good question. I'm, I'm glad you asked that part. Well, I've gone through the rain, the wind, and the storm. So I, well, I came back to Washington. I came back to Washington in 2004. Oh, no, no, no. I'm back up. I got to back up. I got to back up. I was in Pam Lichner when I was in Houston. I got a drug charge. I got a drug charge. I had to go to the prison system, like all those guys that I grew up with, and sitting in sitting in the state jail for 18 months. They gave me four years, but I was on good behavior. Had no cases, none of this kind of stuff. They let me out early, so I stayed 14 months on a four-year sentence. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. all the guys before me uh, was in prison in my neighborhood. Now here I am there. Okay, but uh, uh, then I, I, I got a letter. I got a letter uh, um, uh, from somebody up in Washington. I'm not going to call that organization. I'm not going to call that organization. So a lady wrote me a letter who's an avid Redskin fan and Dexter Manley fan. And uh, that's another, that's a God thing. That is a God thing. And so I've got this letter. From this lady, uh, from a company up here in Washington, and uh, and so when I got released, uh, I had a lawyer who was still working with me, able to uh, get me some engagement here and there, and so I put, I asked him to look into this for me, look into this here, and so uh, all of a sudden, saying it was a God thing, because now here I go again. Uh, Somebody was reaching out to embrace me, and and uh, uh, I was in Houston. I was released. I was released from Pam Lichner, and and uh, I had a lawyer that was willing to work with me from Washington D.C. all the way to Houston, Texas. And he said that was an opportunity for you here, Manly. They want to hire you. They want to hire you. And uh, he negotiated a deal for me. Got me a, I got a job here. Listen, man, they moved, my whole, they moved me up here. Everything I own, every stitch, 
everything I own. I had I had a nice car. They moved that up here, shipped all that up here. I moved up here. I never forget. I moved up here October seventh, two thousand four, and my life had changed. I had I was already clean and sober when I got here. I couldn't handle. I couldn't handle the success. And so I had a nice job. I was public public relations director, something of that nature, working with kids and. And I moved up here. I moved up here and he had a nice job. And, you know, man, I was making $70,000 a year. Uh, they moved me up here, put me up in a nice high-rise apartment, my wife and I. And, and I stayed on the job nine months. And and, start, and everybody in Washington started reaching out to me, calling me, and they see me around town, and things were going good for me. And, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, again, uh, I was going to to my meetings and going visiting uh, Narcotics Anonymous AA and and I I really couldn't handle the success yet. I, I couldn't handle the success and so I started slipping, going back, going back and and, uh, and one day, one night, I never forget on June June sixteenth. It was June sixteenth. Uh, uh, 2000, 2006, uh, I was, I, 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 I was in my car and I was using drugs and the DC, DC police department and, uh, uh, listen, I'm going to be very candid with you. I'll be very candid. I don't even know you, but I just feel compelled. You know, I like, I was always inspired to be like a politician. <laughs> it was like 2 or 3 in the morning, four, maybe 4 o'clock. At, no, no, it was like 4 or 5 in the morning. 4 or 5 in the morning, uh, somewhere in D.C. And this is what changed my life. Uh, um, uh, uh, all these... Uh, it doesn't matter, but but I, this is where I have to identify. You have to see the picture. Hey, listen, it was it was at least six, seven white cops, white cops, D.C. police cops, and they knew who I was. And this is what they said to me. They say, "Manly, we know you. We know you got your fix." I'd never forget this as long as I live. See, we know you. We know you. Ha, you, you got your fix. You know, I say, well, I don't use. I don't shoot heroin. I don't shoot drugs. You know, when you say your fix, I'm thinking, well, okay. So, so he said, you got your fix. I said, well, I don't use needles. I don't use needles. And and so, he said, I tell you what, Manly. Uh, we're not gonna take you to jail. But you're going to the hospital. You're going to the hospital. We're going to take you to the hospital. So the, the officer got on the plane. He, he got on the, uh, he, he, got, he called the rescue squad, whatever code they use. Here come the rescue squad, come to pick me up. See, we're not taking this yet, we're taking you to the hospital. Because we want you to change your life. So uh, they picked me up, put me in the rescue squad. Took me over to a, 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 a Washington Hospital Center, and, and, uh, and then the doctor kneeled down, 
they knocked the mill down. They, they when they rolled me in the hospital, they had all that stuff kind of blocked off, and and uh, I was on the stretcher. Uh, he said, "Manly." The one doctor said, "Sir, you're sick. You have a." He said, "You're sick." And I said, I, you know, I wasn't saying nothing. I was just laying on the stretcher. Okay, and, and uh, this is at the Washington Hospital Center. And so I, sta- I stayed in there like for uh, maybe two days. And then some other doctor would come see me and come say something to me. Uh, and it was on Father's Day. That Sunday turned into Father's Day. And so uh, uh, that doctor kneeled down and said, you're sick. He said, you have something like a tumor in your head, a tumor. And I cut up so bad in that hospital on that weekend, I told them I want to leave. They they let me go. They let me leave the hospital. And on, on that uh, at early, uh, they released me like, I'll say like 5 o'clock p.m. on Father's Day. And I got out of, the, I got out of this Washington Hospital Center. And as we was in the car that Monday, that Monday morning, they called again. They spoke to my wife. They said, you need to get him to a hospital quick. Get him to a hospital quick. And I told, see, you know, when I was playing football with the Redskins, uh, I, uh, that was, uh, they said I had some kind of cyst in my head from, from this football stuff. Dr. Lessenhop was a chief neurosurgeon at Georgetown. I knew I had this cyst in my head that that was uh, had fluid in it that's blocking all the ventricles. But he said we're not going. We're going to have a wait and see attitude, Manley. This is in 1986. Uh, yeah, 86. And so, um, uh, so Dr. Lessenhop didn't do anything. I knew that that. I've been to that hospital, I've been evaluated, all that kind of stuff. And so the doctor called us that Father's Day around about 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Sunday, I mean Sunday p.m. After they released me from Washington Hospital Center. They, they called my wife on her cell phone. They said, you need to get him to the hospital. And, and we didn't mean to discharge him, but we have no more beds here. Because I raised hell there. Now, now, you mean if I'm that sick? And you didn't mean to release me, but then tell her, we don't have no more beds here. Well, I'm glad they didn't have no more beds because I went to Georgetown Hospital that Monday. I say about uh, uh, 3 or 4 o'clock p.m. I walked in Georgetown Hospital in the emergency room. In the emergency room. And, and a, uh, one of the uh, emergency doctors, uh, Cumbi, I can't think, is a black doctor. He was a neurosurgeon or something. And so I told him that I, I was having some complications, and, and uh, so I gave him an MRI. I had an MRI. Now, most of this stuff uh, I do remember, but then I don't remember. But then I never forget, uh, uh, what was that? can't think of his name, the doctor in the hospital at the emergency room in Georgetown. He said, you have to have emergency surgery right away. That's what he tells me. And so I just, you know, what am I going to say? That next day I had a fourteen hour fourteen hour fourteen hour brain surgery. <clears throat> had brain I had fourteen hour brain surgery on Tuesday. Uh, Kevin McGrail, that's the name, Kevin McGrail, Doctor Kevin McGrail. 
He's a chief neurosurgeon at See, Lessenhop died back in the 80s or something, whenever he died. But now here's a young doctor, Kevin McGrail. He performed a surgery, 14-hour 14 14-hour 14 brain surgery he did on me, and, and uh, uh, he saved my life. He's your angel. Yes. Yes. And, and so ever since then, I decided, hey, I'm, I'm not going out no more. I'm changing my life. I'm changing my life. And and, uh, and uh, ever since then, I surrender. I waved the white flag. So Kevin McGrail did the surgery. Then I had to have another surgery. I just had another brain surgery uh, last year, April the 15th, because the cyst came back. I've had two brain surgeries. And, and uh, so uh, uh, a lot of that stuff, uh, uh, you know, I want to live. I want to live today. You know, I got family, got a wife, kids, grandkids, and I, I don't want to leave that kind of legacy. That does it for this week's show. I think Dexter could keep going. If you gave him another hour, two hours, three hours, probably so. But when you have that much energy, I think you kind of get tired, but he kept going. Right. He said, oh, I'm getting tired, and then, you know. 20 minutes later, he's still going strong and wearing us out. Anyway, I'd like to thank our guest, Dexter Manley. Thank our Hall of Fame executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.